Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, as Jesus prepared to go to Jerusalem, the weeks leading up to this, maybe the months leading up to it, you know, there's a time that's just coming closer and closer and closer and closer. Have you ever been in a situation where something was coming in your life that you, you knew you had to do but you weren't looking forward to? You know, there might be, it could be surgery that you're having to go through or, or deal with an issue. As it gets closer every day, right, it starts to take up more and more of your mental and emotional space, doesn't it? Well, I, I mean, Jesus was both human and God. And why I don't think he was a worrier, I got to think that he was still aware of this and thinking about these things. And so as we, uh, in this sermon series, we're going to look at Jesus as he moves closer to Jerusalem. In Matthew chapter 17, let's go to the map right now. Jesus was, uh, there we go, up here in Capernaum. And I know it's kind of small and hard to see. This was Peter's hometown. And so he's hanging out there, doing some teaching. I don't know how long he was there. Uh, not a long time. But then he makes his way back down through here. And at uh, t- the uh, beginning of chapter 19, uh, he is here someplace in the desert area around Jericho. Okay? And then by the time we get to chapter 20, let's see, actually, yeah, chapter 20, he is headed up this road toward Jerusalem, toward that final week, what we call the Passion Week, okay? And so the teaching that from, uh, his teaching from the Word that we're going to look at over the next few weeks happens in these areas, okay? Today we're going to be looking at in this area, so go ahead and go to that next slide if you would, okay? So this is the landscape near Jericho, right? It's not like a lot there. But it says he was in the wilderness in the deserts there, uh, in the, where, down where the Jordan is, which is where uh, Jericho is. And then go to the next slide. This is an aerial view of this road that they would take from down in the Jordan and come up through here, up all the way eventually to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the city of Jerusalem. Okay? And so again, what I want you to do is envision while he's teaching and talking, he's actually going and moving and going places. Okay? And then the next slide. Uh, this is the actual ancient road itself. So you can see what it's like. It's a little dark on this side in the shade, but up through there. So this is where the events that we're looking at take place, okay? So this is his journey to Jerusalem. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, his teachings on what it means to be like a child. But before we do that, let me say, here's the kinds of things that Jesus talked about. Important things. He talked about the nature and the character required of us as citizens of the kingdom of God. What should a citizen of the kingdom of God be like? He he talks about the essential decision that we each must make with respect to all that we possess if we're going to follow Christ. Uh, he, He challenges us about rethinking what's possible in our lives. Because lots of time, I, you know, if we talk, I talk to people and say, well, that could never happen. Or I could never do that. And, and we need to rethink that. Then he talks about the importance of giving up. Boy, this is big, guys. 
giving up, the, uh, giving up our expectations of God and simply trusting him with our lives to do what he wants to do. He talks about cooperating with the Lord as he turns all of our natural priorities upside down, and he does that. And recognizing that the only response to Jesus that makes sense is to follow him, to, say, to surrender to him, to say yes to him. And then understanding that truly following Jesus requires us to give up control of our lives. Those are the kinds of things that he's talking about on this road on the way, well, first in the desert area and then on the way up to Jerusalem. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Now at the beginning of this chapter, uh, the religious leaders came and asked him questions about divorce and remarriage, very challenging questions. They wanted to try to catch Jesus in something, which by the way is always a fool's mission. You want to go to try to trick Jesus? You know, you can't fool God, right? He's, he knows everything. He knows all about you. Anyway, so talking about divorce, we are going to talk about that after Easter. We're going to look at some, you know, kind of, what I'm just going to call hot topics for the moment, okay, after Easter. But we are going to start down here in verse number 13. So remember, Jesus is here. He's in that desert area around Jericho. You might see him. Maybe sitting on one of those rock like we saw there. And it says this. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then departed from there. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand your word, what it means in our lives, and that we would uh, respond to you, believing in faith and, and follow you because of what you tell us here in your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. But what did the disciples do? What did they do? They rebuked the parents or the grandparents or whoever was bringing these children. And these are young children. Uh, the word that's uh, translated children here uh, usually refers to children, you know, under six. Okay, so these are younger children. Uh, and one of the first lessons I see here from this passage of Scripture is that these disciples getting it wrong. Right? Now, I don't think these disciples were mean people. I don't think they were kid haters. Um, but I do think that what's going on here is, you know, they, they don't fully understand yet what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but they know something's happening in Jerusalem. Something big is going down in Jerusalem. And they know there's the risk of death because of the religious leaders and, and what Jesus has been teaching. All that. So they know it's a big deal, and they, they don't understand all how it's going to work yet. But it's a big deal. And so my guess is that they're protecting the Lord. They're trying to put a buffer around him. Not only that, he has big things to talk about and teach about. He has a lot of people he needs to interact with. And now here they are bringing these kids. Not now, right? 
The word translated rebuke uh, communicates this idea of a warning to prevent something from going wrong. And so I think they might have thought, hey, we, we don't want the Lord to be exhausted here. We, we don't want him to get sidetracked. Big important things going on. And so they said no, but Jesus said what? Yes. Okay, for a reason. But so here's what I want to say. Is I believe that those disciples were well-intentioned. They believed that they were doing what was right, but they weren't. Wow. Does that mean that I could be convinced that I'm right about something, that I'm doing right and even think my reasons are right and I could be wrong? Yes. So I think that's a very important thing that we as Christians need to be mindful of. Okay, because here's, here's the difference that we see between Jesus and the disciples, okay? Jesus didn't view needy people as interruptions to what he was doing, but as part of what he was doing. And we need to learn to do the same, okay? So that's just a good lesson for us, right? We need to be ready and open and do that. But this bigger lesson for me here is this, that I and you, we need to remain humble before God about what we think is right, about how we're doing things. You know, by the way, this is a lot easier to see in somebody else than it is in yourself. <laughs> Anybody ever notice that? I mean, people come for counseling, they got a problem, they're talking about it, and so we're talking about it, and they tell me what they're doing, and it's like, okay, all right, so let, let's look at what the Bible says, because the Bible says something different. And I've, I've seen them go, Wow, I never knew that. I never saw that. And they were as well-intentioned as the day is long. But they were wrong. Okay? And so we need to be humble people. We need to remember this. We could be wrong. Now, I think there's plenty of things we don't have to worry about we're wrong about. Are we wrong about the fact that the Word of God became flesh? Jesus, the man. Jesus, the Son of God. You know, he rose from the dead. We're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about how we're living our lives. How we're interacting with other people. You know, last three weeks we talked about what you're doing with your money. Right? I mean, all these kinds of things that we need to stay humble and look to the Lord. And it shouldn't surprise us because from the moment we were conceived, we had a nature that was sinful. It was dead to God, dead to spiritual things. And so we take care of ourselves, don't we? And, and we're going to see today, Jesus tells us that children sometimes haven't been as messed up as we are. Because they, have, you know, they haven't had long enough to get all messed up like the rest of us. Um, but So here's what the Lord, he's talking to Isaiah about us as God's people, and he says this. He says, for my thoughts, this is God talking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Well, that's a big one to remember how we think we should live, how we do things, how we interact with people, what we, the plans, all this kind of stuff, that our ways are not naturally God's ways. They might on occasion line up, but usually even there, there's an inner part that probably does it, okay? So, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I see it all, I know it all, my thoughts are right, my ways are best, uh, Psalm 18, as for God, his ways are perfect. Okay? But he tells us here, by, by nature, we don't see things the same way God does. 
And we need to remember that. Now, thankfully, when we come to Christ, receive Christ as Savior, he moves in, he makes, brings us to life spiritually, and now we have the ability to understand spiritual truths, and so we can begin to replace these things. Imagine a filing system. Does anybody remember what files are? <laughs> Not the ones on your computer. That, that works too, but just you have files. I got downstairs drawers of files when we used to do that, okay? Keep all those files uh, from sermons and studies and just other resources. And in those, all those things are thing, what comes out of this, things that I believe, right? Because I was putting this together, looking at where putting it together. Back in the year 2001, God did a real work in my life and gave me a new understanding of, of what happens when we receive Christ as Savior and how we're supposed to live our lives. And it was just new. And it, it was, it's still all the basics or everything I believe was true, but there was a difference here. And what I discovered is sometimes I'd pull out my files and look at a passage of scripture you know, that I had preached on for, taught on, I'm reading, and I go, oh yeah, this is good. And then all of a sudden I go, ooh, wait a minute. I wouldn't say that anymore. And what I begin to discover is that I have a whole file drawers full of that kind of stuff. Most of it's good and right, but there's little things in there that weren't. And so, and I haven't done this, I'm not going to do it, but if I wanted those files to, you know, be ongoing and somebody take them and use them, I would probably want to go back through and work, pull out of each file and kind of look at it and fix it, right? <laughs> Keep putting back and it'd take a long time, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? That's what we are doing as Christians. Uh, you know, we're born with a filing system that compiles all sorts of things about what we think is right, what comes natural to us, but we need to open up those files once in a while and look and see, wait a minute, this isn't right. Well, how do we do that? Well, we follow what the, the Holy Spirit led Paul to write in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, he said, you've got to say yes to the Lord. You've got to surrender yourself to the Lord. And then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove. This, that word prove means to discern, figure out. Prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does God want? How, what are his ways here? The, the uh, Greek grammar behind this when it says do not be conformed to the world communicates the fact that they are being conformed to the world. And they need to stop it. See, by nature, we're always conformed to the outside. We have to make purposeful choices to be transformed and changed from that. How do we do that? Well, we get in the Word of God, right? You need to be in the Word of God. And it's great you're here, every, you know, you're here most of you every week hearing it preached. That is awesome because the Lord speaks to us that way. You also need to be in it yourself, reading it, and you say, I don't understand it. That's okay. We can help you with that. Just get started and start uh, learning. Uh, we need to be fellowshipping with other Christians because in reality, like when I go back and talk about what happened in 2001 that changed my perspective uh, on, like I said, on what happens when we get saved and why that matters, um, that didn't come because I was just reading my Bible. You know, I'm not a little hard-headed, right? I knew what... Anyway, um, that came from being given a book to read, which some Christian wrote. 
and he's causing me to think about things and then spending a couple days with some counselors who just really interacted and helped us to understand what was going on. And so you need fellowship with other Christians. You need to be sharing your life with them enough in a sense that they can know what's going on in your life. They, they understand the choices you make. So you can, for each other, say, hey, you know, I think, I think God would have you do that a little differently. And we do that with each other. And of course, praying, right? We need to carry on ongoing conversation with the Lord and, and to where he can, just in our hearts, all of a sudden, have you ever, as a Christian, you want to do what God says and you're trying to figure out how to live and all of a sudden you get this sense of, wait a minute, Something's not right here. Anybody ever? Yeah, see? Or, no, I got to do this, okay? And, and we can get those things wrong. We got to be careful. But the idea is that the Lord will transform. It will transform our thinking. More and more files will match the truths of God's word, okay? And, and how we live it out will more and more match those truths, okay? So really important that we stay humble, open to God, ready to change anything we would need to change. Anything he wants us to change, okay? Being transformed. All right, so this brings us up to what Jesus said about being like a child. Let's look at it one more time. In verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Of such. He, he's talking about this idea of being like a child because that is what the kingdom is like. Now, we're not talking about being childish, right? Childish is an indication of lack of maturity. We're not talking about that, and everything children do aren't perfect. And uh, he doesn't mean, and I guess I'll say it, he doesn't mean go back into diapers and, you know, <laughs> and eat your food with your hands. He's not talking about those kinds of things. He's talking about character qualities, a nature of a child that matches other things in the Bible that we can see and know. So what are some of these characteristics of a child that we then can find elsewhere in the Bible as well? The first one is that like a child, we need to be ready and willing to believe. Ready and willing to believe. Children are, seem to have a built-in Readiness to believe. That's why you can fool them, right? With the stuff that you do, uh, you know? And I don't think, you know, most of that is, is small stuff hurts, okay? You know, like in our family, all of our kids, and now our grandkids have grown up learning about the wampus cats. You guys know what a wampus cat is? Okay, well, Glenda and I'll have to show you sometime. No, wampus cats, they live in the culverts underneath the roads, you know, in the drain system underneath the roads. And so what you do, we go out with the kids or grandkids and they're little, and we tell them about the wampus cats that live down there. And they say, really, you know? Yeah, and so they tell them. And sure enough, they go kind of look in one end, and what they don't know is that Grandpa slipped back here, and he's at another drain and goes, Okay. So they believe in wampus cats, you know, to a point, and then we always let them in on the secret eventually. But why, how can you do that? Because they're what? Ready to believe. Now, we ought not believe foolish stuff. We need to match it to the word of God, right? Uh, what God wants us to believe is always consistent with what's true, so we don't need to worry about that. 
But we ought to have that readiness and a willingness to believe. In fact, in chapter 18, the previous chapter from here, Jesus says these words. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as, a little, as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Little children, they believe and accept, right? They're ready to do that. And he says that's the way we have to become to make it to heaven. You know, we have to come to understand the truth that we've all sinned against a holy God. And because he's a holy God and our sin is an affront to him, that he will judge us for that sin. And how good do we have to be to make it to heaven on our own? How good do we have to be? Perfect. Perfect. Well, I blew that one a long time ago, right? Okay, so we've all sinned and we've sinned repeatedly, sometimes more than others. Uh, but because of that, holy God, he must judge our sin. And he did judge our sin. He loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. At Jesus, who we're looking at, right? Jesus goes to the cross and bears the penalty for our sins. My sins, your sins. He takes that guilt on him. God judges sin on Jesus. And then he says to us that if we will believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again that we can, like a child, say, okay, Lord, I believe that you did that for me. I accept Jesus as my Savior. And at that moment, he forgives every sin. He gives us eternal life. He moves in and begins changing us so that we can do like we talked a little while ago, being transformed, right? He starts working on us in that way. And so if you've never received Christ as Savior, you've never had that, that clarity that, yeah, I made that decision to, to accept Jesus' death for my sins and his resurrection for my life and receive Christ as Savior, you need to do that. You can do that this very moment. You just talk with God in your heart and mind. He knows what's going on there. If you have any questions, please talk to us. We would love to help you with that decision. All right, so children are ready and willing to believe. Second thing, like a child, is the natural sense of awe and wonder. It's, you know, they haven't lost it yet, right? And simplest things. How many of you ladies ever had a jewelry box with a little um, dancer or, yeah? All right. Well, this, watch my, this is from last week. I, did we give this to her? Yeah, I thought we did. I have to ask, what do we give the kids? Um, we gave this jewelry box to my uh, youngest granddaughter. And so here's a video of that. Yeah, so, I mean, you've seen that. You've done it, maybe, right? But just something that's just so captures her imagination. And then how have you seen kids play with a cardboard box? <laughs> it is just so cool, isn't it? it is, in fact, some people, you know, have had that experience. You give your child a present, and they put the present aside and play with the box, right? <laughs> 
So this idea of a natural sense of awe and wonder, God wants this from us, like a child. In Psalm 33, it says this, let all the inhabitants, or let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. It's like, whoa. Wow, you know. You're looking at maybe in the word, maybe you're looking at it in the world around you, you know, to have this awe. David talks about this in Psalm number eight when he talks about looking up at the sky. And he says this, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you, God, have ordained, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Wow, amazing. Well, how can we recapture that? this sense of that, right, where it becomes more and more a part of our lives. Well, David really gave us the clue here. It's the first three words, when I consider. Go ahead and go to that, Silas. When I consider. You have to make purposeful decisions to consider, to look at God and think about that. Get in his word, and when it talks about who he's like, even, even right here today, like when we read, right, the, the children come and the disciples rebuke them, but Jesus said, oh, no, bring them, right? Let them come. Wow. Okay, you look at creation. You can consider how we're made. I, I think about how our bodies work, how they don't work sometimes because, because of the curse of sin in our world. But it is just crazy, crazy amazing. And then you get down and find out what the, what's happening on the molecular level, right? It's like, by the way, when someone tells you that happened by chance, you just smile and say, ain't so. Don't have to say that loud, but ain't so. It isn't so. So we need to consider. We need to on purpose have time. You come to worship, you can consider the awesomeness and the wonder of God in creation and your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? All these ways. But we need to be consciously considering. And by the way, when we're consciously considering these things, guess what? That's going to be part of how he does what? How he transforms our minds. It all ties together. Then like a child, don't avoid being dependent. Most of us don't want to be dependent. You know, I, I, I know it's hard because sometimes, I, you know, we talk and about a situation in your life and we're going, okay, well, here's really what God's word says you ought to do. And the reality is the only thing that holds people back at that point is I would have to depend on God to do what he says. Now, is it just me, or is this idea of sometimes I don't feel like I want to depend? Do you ever feel that way? Okay, but see, like a child, children don't avoid being dependent, right? They are dependent. So yesterday, I was at the, my granddaughter's house. See, that, you know, when you get to preach, you get to put granddaughter on the screen. Um, but watch her, and you'll get it. All right, so we've probably all done that, right? 
Um, but you, you watch her, she, she wants to be dependent. It's a little scary, but she wants to jump into dad's arms. See, we need to get to that place where we want to jump into God's arms. Here's a new situation in my life. I'm coming through life, and whoa, wait a minute. My natural way says this, but I'm being transformed. I'm seeing things differently, but, but wait a minute. If I do that, I'm going to have to depend on God's catching me. Then what? Are we going to jump? Right? We need to go. And I guarantee you God doesn't miss. He won't miss you. He won't drop you. Okay? So don't avoid being dependent. Uh, Psalm 127, we need to understand the reality anyway. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Everything that we do, if we want it to matter for God and have eternal significance to it, do your best. But if, if God doesn't work, it's a waste. I'm going to, I was praying this morning in my office here about, you know, just, okay, Lord, I'm going to preach and, and I'm thinking about this and I'm going to do my best to communicate clearly in a way that helps you to, to follow along and understand and I'm going to do that but if God doesn't work it's empty right God is who you need to hear from not me and he can use what I'm saying to speak to you but see we're dependent on God for everything that matters so if that's the fact maybe we should stop trying to be independent of God Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Read the rest of it with me. For without me, you can do nothing. In fact, let's try that again a little more. Ready? For without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. All right? So we want to, uh, you know, stop that tendency to, to be independent and not want to be having to depend. We want everything in our own control. No, no, no. We're going to make decisions that will require us to depend on God and we'll jump. Okay? We're ready to do that. All right, fourth one. They're not afraid to admit their inabilities and weaknesses. Because if a kid has a problem with something, what's he do? The little one. He looks for you, doesn't he? She looks for you. Find you. I, I can't do this. Can you help me? Uh, and we don't always like to do that kind of thing. I think it's fair to say, right? Remember the song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong, right? And that's where we need to live as Christians. Anybody here besides me have some weaknesses in your life? Areas where you struggle, where you need help, but you just keep trying to figure it out on your own. I can do this, I try this, and read, blah, blah, blah. And at some point we have to come say, oh God, I need help. And God might say, yes, you do need help. And you know what? I've put some people in your life that you need to go to and ask for help. Wait a minute, can't we just keep this between you and me, God? No. I mean... It won't always say, sometimes it is between you and God. But you see what I'm saying? We need to recognize that we need him. We have weaknesses that we need him to work in our lives. The Apostle Paul, you know, who you would think, 
The Apostle Paul, he's really quite an interesting character. I think a very strong person, very strong personality. If any, a go-getter, we can go, we can do it, let's do it, all that kind of stuff. And he came to a point in his life where he, he realized something he didn't have control over and couldn't fix. But anyway, this is what he learned. And he said to me, God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That means it's enough. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I've learned that in my areas of weakness, that's where I get to know God. That's where I get to experience his working in my life. These things where I got it all, you know, seemingly under control, not a big deal. Yeah, do them. But he said, it's, it's where I realize that I don't have the ability here or this is a weakness and a struggle for me that those are the places where I experience the reality and the power of God in his word. So you want to be like a child. Don't be afraid to admit your inabilities and weaknesses to God, but sometimes to each other. Let each other pray and help. And the final one is this, a readiness to forgive. Little kids are ready to forgive. You know, your husband or wife may not be in such a hurry because of Everything that's happened in life, right? But the little kids aren't there yet. And they have this readiness to forgive. You know, over the years as I raised my kids, and they lived, there were times when I didn't, I didn't respond rightly or, or I did something that wasn't right and the kids see it. Where I've had to go back and say to them, listen, Dad needs to tell you something. That this and whatever it was was not right. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted that way, whatever it was. Will you forgive me? I never had a kid go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, man, they forgive. It's okay, Daddy, I love you, you know. Now, I realize some of you haven't grown up, you didn't grow up with that kind of experience, okay? But you still know the forgiveness of God, of your Father. And this is where in Hebrews it says this. It says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. If you're going to pursue peace, you're going to have to be forgiving. If you, you won't have peace if you don't forgive. There's going to be that issue of forgiveness. And bitterness is usually what happens when we don't forgive. When I don't forgive someone, I become bitter towards them, right? Um, I remember... There was a day, many years ago, over, yeah, probably, it's over 20 years ago now, probably, where something happened, and somebody betrayed me, betrayed something I had spoken to them in private about, and it was going to have really bad ripple effects with other people, and I'm typically a pretty forgiving person. Um, I'm more so as I've gotten older and, and grown in my relationship with the Lord, pretty forgiving. But this, I had a half a day of hate. It's pretty ugly. And for what it's worth, I'm wrestling with this because I know, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to forgive, right? doesn't make it right. I'm not letting them off the hook. We're still going to have to deal with it. But I, in my heart, I needed to forgive. I needed to let go to God. And I... 
there were pews in the building at the time, but I walked around in here and out the foyer and back around. I spent several hours just saying, I can't forgive them. And you've got to say, you've got to forgive them. I can't forgive them. I hate what this person has done. You know, and with all that kind of stuff. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit, God kept after me, and I finally knew I had to forgive. And so I didn't forgive because I felt like forgiving, but I made a conscious choice with my will. Okay, God, I forgive this person. Will you work in his, her life? You know, and help me to love the way I'm supposed to and help us then to deal with this mess. Um, how many of you ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Yeah. Quite a few. Okay, a lot of you. She uh, was in Nazi Germany during World War II. She hid, probably prior to World War II, but anyway, she hid Jewish people, and she and her family got caught hiding the Jewish people. So she ended up in a concentration camp for 11 months. And she saw what happened there and experienced herself. And I don't know the details of how she got out, if it was at the end of the war or what. Um, but here's what she talks about, this idea of forgiveness for the people who experienced that brutality toward them. She says, since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for the victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive, and I, we're all able to forgive, but she means those who got to that point where they said, I will forgive. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able, go ahead, to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. You know, we need to forgive not just because the Lord tells us to. That's enough. But we need to forgive because if we don't, we begin to destroy ourselves. And as Hebrews says, it, you know, it, that rottenness goes out to other people too. So we, we want to become like a child, ready to forgive. How are we going to do this? We have to remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ, go ahead, yeah, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's the key, see that? How did God forgive you? Did you earn it? You fixed all the stuff, and he says, okay, I'll let you off the hook. No, you came and said, oh, God, I have messed this up so many times. I have messed up in my very nature. I need you. I need you to forgive me. And God didn't say, well, why should I forgive you? I mean, he's already provided the provision in Christ, right? You know, uh, I don't know. Are you really sincere? I mean, it just doesn't do that, right? We come and say, God, I except Christ, or we've sinned, and we say, God, I come and I confess to you. How do you forgive you? Did you forgive half? Did you forgive three-fourths? 99.9% .9 did you forgive? No, he forgave what? All. The whole thing. Now, did that mean he took away the consequences in this life of our sin? I say we live life, we have to deal with that stuff, but our relationship, he's forgiven us. So, like a child, these five things, ready and willing to believe, a natural sense of awe and wonder, stop avoiding being dependent on God, take the jump, 
of not afraid to admit your inabilities and weaknesses, and then readiness to forgive. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, please help us to see our lives in light of these childlike characters that you tell us about in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would evaluate and, and again consciously make decisions to turn to you and away from our own ways. Change us to be people who are like you, people who match what the kingdom of heaven is like, like a child. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before you go, we're going to, I don't know if we have any questions and questions today or not, so let me check and see. We don't. So, go have a great week serving the Lord, okay? And if you have questions about Israel, please talk to Glenda or me, all right? Thank you. God bless you. Good to see you, Jen. Testing, testing. Dave.